Hello. This is the house on Valencia Street. I'll be your host. I use explicit language. Topics of conversation will include ghosts, the paranormal, psychic ability, domestic violence, incest, rape, uh, therapy, recovery, uh, humor, comedy, um, <laughs> willful education, kink, BDSM, agnosticism, atheism, Buddhism, mm, new-death experiences, uh, God, the nature of spirit, uh, let's see what else, and today, <laughs> We have potentially a new entry for The Fallen Ones, which is a running series I have on my podcast. The Fallen Ones are those that, <clears throat> when we do a little digging into a mystery or two, we could pull up and go, oh, this is a great poem, and everybody knows this. Isn't this fantastic? And then you just start looking at the other stuff that's laid out in full, and you go, oh, dear. Hmm, this might be a bit to reconcile. So we've got a bit of a mystery today I'm going to be diving into. Uh, let's see. Mm. But before we dig into that, um, this is one person's experience, one case study. Uh, and the house on Valencia Street is a place I grew up in, Walla Walla. I was transitioning from being a kid to being um, into puberty. And at the time, there was a lot of violence going on in our home. Uh, I had a mama who was trying to individuate and a uh, culture that was just fine with us getting beaten to the hospital. And we talked to people and the cops would come to the door and turn their back and they'd beat us again. And everybody just seemed fine with it. You know, he had enough money, he had enough status that people looked the other way. And um, I'm not fine with it. So I'm talking about it some. And I think these days we're learning how to claim space that way. Um, and uh, hold people more accountable for actions. And in that, recovering and healing, which is a real nice path to go, huh? <laughs> and also, you know, trendsetters like my mother, Darlene, who got therapy when I was in high school, even before foster care, and then got to 12-step and learned amends, learned how to say she was sorry. And we put some time into therapy and Last 10 years of her life, she was my best friend, you know, and I was the last one in the family to be with her uh, for a couple of weeks there trying to set things up. Uh, she had a mess going on there, and I was trying to help her get straight. And, well, anyway, she's not worrying about that today, so I'm not going to worry about that today. <laughs> but we had a good time. We always were having a good time, whether it was just playing cards or being silly. Um and uh, I'm bringing some of that joy here to you because it's really wonderful to remember being loved and to know you are loved. And for me, spiritual program and a daily meditation program helped me get to that point. And today we're going to be diving into a little meditation that was a favorite poem of my mother's. Woo! But it's a bit of a mystery and there's a bit of a scarlet nature to it as well. There's a hidden scarlet nature to this poem. Uh, we're going to get into, but um, let's see what else. Let's make sure to get rid of the disclaimers. Okay. In this environment here at the house on Valencia Street, it won't be someone who hasn't been raped telling me how to talk about being raped. And uh, an example is one person in the family uh, who's a step parent who married in. And heads up, that's what predators will do. They'll swoop in when someone's vulnerable and needs something financially, and then they'll abuse people. And then people are 
dependent financially and they can't get out. So that's one way to watch for a predator, watch for a predator at that location. Um, here though, we're going to describe some ways that people survive and maybe can take care to build and be safe. Um, if mental health stuff's kicking up for you, understand that you have options and please seek professional mental health help uh, with a certified board certified psychiatrist, psychologist, as someone who's maybe insured, bonded, that type of thing. You want to go to a professional when it comes to your mental health, if you can afford it. If you can't afford it, like a lot of us here who are living below poverty level income here in the United States, just trying to get by with our PTSD or just trying to get by with uh, social anxiety disorder like some of us. Well, uh, there's support groups, there's phone meetings, um, there's daily meditation, uh, there's uh, religious organizations, but you have to be mindful of what's going on there when you partake of that. Um, and uh, there's ways to get out, you know, and if the first time or two you don't get someone listening to you, try the third or fourth. Um, it's going to be something that you're going to have to carve a path on if you want to get right on some of this, or at least present with some of it, which is, could take time, could take time for sure. So here's a, I'm just going to give you a little path on how some of me and my family changed some patterns and broke some bonds of uh, enslavement in, in some ways um, in my family of origin so that we could at least be honest, even if we were poor because of it <laughs> in some cases. So, uh, although I know joy and I know love, and I know people that got boundaries that say, you can't do that to my kids anymore. And I'm going to be poor, even if I got to be, you know, to, to make that right. You know, um, that's the strength character, people facing that type of thing to live the, in a way that ethically and morally they feel is right and honest, even if it means they're going to be poor and not take money from someone corrupt. Right. So, uh, that's the struggle sometimes, isn't it? I think one one joy I have today is a willful education and also a capacity for allowing to honor something that's sacred and beautiful and also make sure these days to honestly acknowledge the other part, right? For example, the movie Frida, which is one I use example of quite a bit, one of my favorite movies. Selma Hayek took her over 14 years to get that published, as I understand it, from the resources I've read and from her own interviews. And Max, uh, or it was, uh, was it Max? I can't remember the production company, uh, but it was Harvey, Harvey Weinstein's company, and he... Uh, put sex scenes in the movie because he wanted to watch her have sex with um, Ms. Judd, you know, and she was vomiting during the, the sex scenes. And so now that I'm watching the movie, knowing this about the movie, knowing the whole thing of it, it's still one of my favorite movies, although it's painful for me to watch now because I understand what went on there. You know what I mean? It's great art. It took so long for someone. It took a couple decades, you know, and I'm really grateful to know the truth. And I'd rather know the truth than the fantasy for sure. And um, here at the house on Valencia Street, we get to talk truth. And we also get to be present and understand that it's gonna, sometimes it's complex, complicated. And um, it's so nice to have, be heard and seen. And this is a place to do that. So, okay, anything else? Yeah, so please seek mental health help if you need it. Um, that is not me. I'm just some, someone telling, some sharing, some experience, strength, and hope from my own perspective. Uh, and, uh, oh, by the way, we talked 12 step here some too. So, uh, let's see what else. Um, 
Oh, hey, um, if you'd like to, I've got a website, anchor.fm forward slash M-O-H-M-A-H, and that's MoMA. That's my mom's nickname. Uh, that was our special little nickname we created. Uh, you can go over there and you can sponsor me. That would be fantastic. Oh, wouldn't that be great? And, uh, you know, you could you could put in five bucks a month. And that's a cup of coffee. Or you could put in 10 bucks a month. Well, that's a meal right there. <laughs> or another microphone. And actually, I've got some microphone covers in mind and also i'd like to get some filters and things to make the quality of the sound better because right now i'm still using the same old tool that i bought about a year ago uh, to record this and i know that uh, i i look forward to it and i'm encouraged that sound quality can be improved so i'm looking forward to that all right i think we are now ready to embark on our journey and it's going to be about the mystery of the desiderata the desiderata the scarlet desiderata as i like to call it today Mm, so i'm looking at a picture of something that was hanging on my mama's wall when we were folding down the house and it's a copy of a poem that a lot of us know um this oh gosh darn it i'm gonna have to stop recording hello and we're back oh we had a little interruption there but that's okay gave me a little time to uh have a little vape pen surprise and that was very nice and then of course i had to turn on some jazz and so dave brubeck i was uh listening to some jazz for a little bit I'm kind of picky about my jazz. I, I tend towards more of a blues person. Um, but uh, if it's a nice nondescript kind of a, well, like Dave Brubeck, I, I love listening to that song over and over again. Take five. Okay. And I took about 15 there. But hey, hey we're back. All right. Um, we're now back as we uh, dig through the woods into the mystery of the Scarlet Desiderata. <laughs> Uh, the phrase Desiderata, it's a name of a poem that you may have heard, quite popular in the 60s and 70s. Heck, I'm looking at a, what's that thing where you used to get paste in a, in a, um, uh, <laughs> big thick uh, brush, you get a big thick paintbrush, and you just sit there and you'd get uh, uh, pieces of, uh, I don't know, I, you'd see it all the time on a block of wood. And then they get a picture out of a magazine and then they'd paste it onto this board and then they'd put a bunch of crap over it. And it was a nice thick layer of, I don't know, goo, some kind of uh, glue product. And and then you'd hang it on a wall. Well, I'm looking at one of these type of uh, artwork installations that were popular in the 70s and 80s. And it's a a poem called Desiderata. I've seen this thing reproduced in, I don't know, dozens of different formats, this particular poem. And a lot of us know it. Um, this poem was one of my mother's favorites, the Desiderata. She loved it quite a bit. Well, I got to thinking about what the source or the origin of this Desiderata was. And I wanted to take a dive in because uh, it's got some beauty to it. Uh, I must admit myself, um, here's a couple lines that we can uh, cull from this that I particularly like. The first line is, uh, Go placidly amid the noise and haste, and remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible, without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. 
speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others, even the dull and ignorant. They too have their story. <laughs> Avoid loud and aggressive persons. They are vexations to the spirit. <laughs> anyway, I'll, I'll round out. Uh, to me, I sit there and go, oh, no judgments there. No shame in her judgment there. I'm good, you're bad. But, you know, you sit there and go, some of that's really good. But the other part of it's like dull and ignorant. You're just going to say, hey, you, I, I, I don't know. I got some issue on that one. But here's a line I particularly like from this Desiderata. <clears throat> Quote, you are a child of the universe, no less than the trees and the stars. You have a right to be here. And whether or not it is clear to you, no doubt the universe is unfolding as it should. Therefore, be at peace with God, whatever you conceive him to be, and whatever your labors and aspirations in the noisy confusion of life, keep peace with your soul. So, um, quote, uh, there's quite a bit more to that, I suppose. And there's a couple different versions of this. Now, this one at the end of it says, found in Old St. Paul's Church, Baltimore, dated 1692. Hmm. Well, that's an attribution that's often given to this little piece of writing, but is that the real deal? Hmm, maybe there's a mistake going on here. Let's take a look at this. So, next I'm going to point to St. Paul's Church, which indeed is pointed towards as the source origin of this little writing here called the Desiderata, which means Latin, it's Latin for things that are desired. Desiderata, things desired, is what that means. Now, I'll pause on that concept. In meditation practice, one thing in Buddhism, or um, I'm studying Abraham Hicks' work, her meditations are really helping me be present with uncomfortable things better and uh, make um, choices on what I fixate on better. I feel like I'm uh, learning quite a bit from practice with uh, that teacher, as well as Tara Brock, Buddhist psychologist, that person as well. Um, but getting back to this concept of things desired, one thing I'm constantly doing mentally, and it's exhausting as part of my meditation practice and um, 10 years of therapy, is trying to adjust my thinking. For example, um, <clears throat> uh, I am uncomfortable with a neighbor who has been loitering and doing threatening behavior. And so I've been making sure to verbalize that and document it with several different source en entities so that there's a long trail of what's going on. And it's been kind of scary and frustrating. And um, you end up feeling isolated. And it's a he said, she said, unless you can produce pictures, which I produced several pictures over several months. And it's like, I just want to be left to myself, and I can't even use my backyard now. So um, I was hanging out in my front yard, and then he shows up twice, you know, and you're like, mm, nope. And so that's uncomfortable. I don't like that. And a lot of women face that. Okay, so what options do you have? Well, I've been here for several years. Um, I'm surrounded by people that convey empathy very differently than me. I've had proselytizing letters sent to me in the mail, and I'll get angry and start thinking about cursing and start quoting about Bible with this person. And I'm like, no, 
I think I'll let my landlord deal with it. And, you know, you just sit there and go, that's not, you know, that's not really normal what they're doing. There. <laughs> they think they're normal, but from a distance, they're saying, I judge you go to church. You know, this is my church. Uh, you know, I'll save your soul, but you don't really need to talk to me kind of stuff. You know, you're just like going uh, seven day Adventist, I believe. And, um, so you sit there and go, uh, there's, a, there's a perspective there. What, what is that offering to me? It could be personalized. I can get real defensive on that. And then I'll, I want to start going toe to toe and I'm like defending myself. And I'm like, you know, I don't need to do that. I could just sit there and acknowledge this contrast. You know, this person has boundary issues as my neighbor. That's contrast. Okay. Um, I can be someplace else. You know, I can go someplace where I'm treated better. <laughs> Although in my head with my uh, PTSD and what was told to us, you get trapped in this in situation. And so um, um, the perspective that I'm looking at here is with Desiderata, and I, I know it's kind of roundabout going in, and thank you for your patience. Things desired, uh, mentally, my 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 uh, meditation teachers say that that is not the way to focus, that you're focusing on lack when you describe it that way. And you got to be real and tell the truth sometimes and focus on what you want to seek, right? And what you're going to create. Because when you see that goal, it, you're closer to creating it because you're already thinking about possibilities, coincidences, inspirations, because you're listening and meditating, right? So regularly, daily. So um, anyway, so mentally one exercise i do to get my head right is instead of saying things desired as a desiderata would say it would be things fulfilled you know what do i see that is satisfying right now for example my chamomile tea that's warm and i'm going to take a sip of here mm -hmm. mm. that is fantastic i like the taste of that <laughs> uh, one meditation tool is a rampage uh, <laughs> Abraham Hicks has a rampage. So what happens is you're trying to change and go downstream. You want to go with the flow. And so instead of going, it's easy for me, like I, I've done protests, I've done, you know, debates publicly, you know, so um, about political things I believe in. Well, there's some other options with that. You know, maybe I could volunteer and do service at a domestic violence shelter, which I spent a couple decades doing, or uh, doing service work at an animal shelter, which I spent about three decades doing. Um, and still I'm trying to figure out how to help from my little perspective here in the pandemic, hiding away and cloistered as a recluse out here. But um, so the mental perspective is to try to shift focus from something lacking uh, to something that is fulfilled. So Desiderata with the Latin saying, you're desiring these things. Maybe you could shift that perspective to saying things fulfilled as opposed to things Latin, lacking. And maybe a challenge I can give myself is to uh, look up the Latin for desires fulfilled. Uh, <laughs> Boy, this is a deep dive. Thank you for your patience. Where are we 10 minutes in? Oh, yeah. So we've been reading the Desiderata. It's credited to St. Paul's Church. It's Latin for things desired. Maybe we could say things fulfilled if we were mentally trying to shift our focus. So let's take a look at what St. Paul's Church has to say about this little shindig here. Well, I'm looking at a flyer from Baltimore, Maryland, Old St. Paul's Church. This is a location that's considered in 1692. It's dated to the... Uh, it was found, they say this was found in this church at this date. 
Well, is that a real attribution? Is that an accurate attribution? Okay, let's take a dig here. I'm reading for the, it's got the letterhead of Old St. Paul's Church, and it's a, stated here, www.osp1692.org. www.os is in Sam, P is in Peter, 1692.org. So I'm reading on this quotation on this flyer. The title is Desiderata and Old St. Paul's. So, here we go. Known for its words of reassurance, Desiderata has been reprinted in national magazines such as Reader's Digest, been recited at countless weddings and funerals, as recorded, and was recorded as a hit pop song in 1972. Hot, I'm going to quote, pause. I didn't know that. Now I've got to figure out the Desiderata. i got to look up the Desiderata song now. I didn't know there was a song called the Desiderata. Well, hot damn. Okay. Or hot, hot blessing, hot damn, hot blessing. Okay. So hot damn. I got, I got some research to do on a pop song called the Desiderata in 1972. Okay. I'm going ahead. I'm going to continue quoting from the old St. Paul's flyer here. Quote, over the years, the source of this well-loved poem has been shrouded in mystery. Legend has it that the Desiderata was inscribed on a wall at Old St. Paul's Church in the late 17th century. In reality, it was written in 1927 by Max Ehrman, an Indiana attorney, poet, and author. Old St. Paul's is in no way accountable for the poem. Now how the hell did, quote, now how the hell did that happen? Well, let's get down to it. Next paragraph. This is where it came from. Everyone's thinking it's coming out of this old thing, but this is how it happened. <clears throat> so how, quote, so how did the Desiderata become associated with old St. Paul's? To find out the answer, we must track, track it back to the season of Lent in Baltimore in the mid-1950s. The Reverend Frederick W. Cates, rector of old St. Paul's from 1956 to 1961, plays a key role in this story. During Lent, it was Father Kate's custom to distribute inspirational poems and quotations to his parishioners. One particular Sunday, he placed Desiderata in the pews on parish letterhead, which contains the church's founding, dated of 1692. One can only surmise a visitor then copied the poem along with the misleading credit line. And distribution began in earnest. Even today, it is rare to find a copy of Desiderata that fails to include the line found in Old St. Paul's Church, Baltimore, dated 1692. Hmm. Quote, so apparently it's a misattribution, right? So, okay, well, that's interesting. Well, if it isn't Old St. Paul's, who's this Max Ehrman fella? Let's check that out, shall we? So we're on, we're on the hunt of the mystery of the scarlet Desiderata. Oh, it is deep, this scarlet. The, the scarlet women, there's brothels. There's all kinds of dirty little things in this one. Uh, so you'll find out that Max Ehrman is going to qualify for a particular little part of my podcast here, The Fallen Ones. He's going to be both of these things. But let's get to him. The mystery of Max Ehrman. Hmm. Max Ehrman was born in uh, 1872, back in Indiana, and he was a lifelong resident of a place called Terre Haute. Terre Haute. Uh, think of Pomme de Terre, the French. Uh, one moment. 
This hot tea is fantastic. Okay, terre hot. It's French for highland, and I am high while I say this. So, <laughs> and there it is. But it makes it interesting. I love going into the deep-hearted mystery of this scarlet land while I'm a little bit stoned. So here's terre hot. Well, what's this place? It's called Highland, and it's in Indiana. Now, Max Ehrman, a E H R M is in Mary, A N is in Nancy, N is in Nancy. He originally, his parents were German and they're immigrants from Bavaria. They came to the States, the United States, in, let's see, 1840s, long ago. Now, I come from German stock as well, and Scandinavian, and a whole Heinz 57 of, of different um, general. Caucasian type people from Europe, just the blend over there. Uh, so I consider it a mutt genetically myself. I'm a mutt, you know, much when you, when I go volunteer at the shelter, you know, the animal shelter, you see all kinds of mixes and, you know, some people wanted the bloodlines and this and that, but my mama had a pug and that's, that beautiful little dog had weird cancer stuff going on, skin tag stuff going on, had breathing problems, had been on prescription pills. You know, it was, you know, skin issues. You know, you just had the ear issues. You, so you sit there and go, okay, it's a breed. That's cute. But it's also kind of disabled. You know what I mean? Is that really the way that you should do things? Anyway, back to it. I digress. So, um, so uh, I, I am also a mutt genetically, I believe. So um, German stock though. So Ehrman, he was German stock too from Bavaria. He came over and, or his parents came over and then in 1872 he was born. He got his law degree at Harvard and he came back to Terre Haute, Indiana and hung out. He was a lawyer at this point. He came back and he was working with his family's manufacturing business. And when he turned 40 years old, he left his family's manufacturing business because he wanted to be a writer. Okay. And he published many, many, many things here. Um, the Desiderata was in 1927. And according to what I'm reading here, he wrote it for his daughter as a birthday gift. And um, so he copywrote this piece of work, uh, the Desiderata, but what ended up happening is he gave this to his daughter. Now, the Desiderata is a bunch of damn advice, okay, or blessed advice. Um, and as a 12-stepper, one of my 12-step programs, uh, Al-Anon, has a line about um, giving unrequested advice. Uh, Mary Pearl is a teacher and she has traveled and instructed on her Al-Anon experience. She has a core on the 12 traditions in Al-Anon and how she can apply that to a long-term relationship. And I went and listened to her over a weekend in Seattle and, and got to hear her speak on this. And I learned a lot. She's an amazing woman, uh, Mary Pearl from Arkansas. Anyway, um, she's my hero in Al-Anon and you know, I've learned a lot from that and some of it doesn't really apply to where I am anymore, but to get to where I am, I had to integrate the knowledge that Al-Anon has brought me. Um, I believe that Al-Anon, my experience is that there were uh, a particular gender, race, and socioeconomic, heterosexual couple, demographic, parental demographic, uh, identity. Uh, sometimes there would be gossip and criticism. And um, I put a lot of work into that 12-step program and I had to kind of step back for a bit. Um, and actually, well, the group I was in, I was group rep for in seven years. They haven't had a group rep since. And they say you can measure a 12-step group by their service work. And that, that particular unnamed group, uh, they still don't have a group representative. And so I'm kind of like, well, I like going to a program, you know, 
the 12 step groups I've been a member of, uh, that worked, they, um, had a lot of service work and a lot of opportunity to network. And, uh, I really wanted to be engaged and, um, I've actually been asked to be doing some service work on another 12 step program. That's about, um, being a child of alcoholics and how that impacts how you perceive the world. Uh, in my perception, it, codependent enabling is part of my, my issue, but, uh, adult children of alcoholics, as I understand it, talks about um, growing up in an alcoholic home and how we have to reparent ourselves and we have to learn how to parent ourselves and nurture ourselves. Um, Tara Brock's work as a Buddhist, she talks a lot about nurturing ourselves. And Tara Brock has a system called RAIN that's readily accessible. You can read it. Um, it's uh, recognize, allow, investigate, nurture. That's the RAIN process. So if you feel overwhelmed, out of control, upset, you can sit down and apply RAIN to the concept, which is recognize, allow, investigate, nurture. That's as I remember it. Um, please consult with tarabrock.com to get the direct thing. And I've donated to Tara Brock. Please donate to Tara Brock. I support her work and as best I can. So, um, so back to it. Um, where the hell was I going with this? We were talking about the Desiderata and, and Max Ehrman. And okay, I, I'm wandering a bit, but let's get to it. Um, <laughs> I completely went off the thread. Uh, I had a lover who was a, a Air Force person long ago. Boy, he was a he, triathlete. That one, he he uh, he had this phrase called "death of a thousand tangents." death of a thousand tangents and we would just blip all over the place and for three or four months we just deconstructed the world and put it back together with our minds and it was fascinating um and sometimes you know uh it, the person is a chapter of your your life not a book you know and that that person was a chapter but i love the death of a thousand tangents because that's one that i experience on regular and that also can be a symptom of PTSD, wandering thoughts. Um, I don't know if it's ADHD, but um, I'm storytelling. And the, po the whole point of the House on Valencia Street is to tell the truth. But also, I like mingling it with factual information while I'm researching stuff and how it kind of triggers things and trying to integrate that. I sometimes make mistakes, and I usually try to update that in notes. Um, I, I recognize that may happen, and my goal is to go with the thread of what I'm finding here. So we'll get back in. Thanks for your patience. Okay. Back at Max Ehrman, Grattan Desiderata, uh, he's from Indiana. He becomes a lifelong resident of Terre Haute, H-A-U-T-E, French, uh, for French Highland. Uh, I'm, I, again, I'm high while saying that. And I see, this is what you get for free. Thank you. Um, if you start donating, maybe I'll take some notes. I don't know. But anyway, I got, got, <laughs> he got a law degree at Harvard, came back and he set up with his family, said, screw it. I'm out of here. I'm 40. I'm going to be a writer. He wrote the Desiderata 1927. Now he ran into a little problem right about now because he sent out a Christmas card. He, he involved, he copied this letter this Desiderata that he wrote to his daughter, which was advice to his daughter on her birthday. So essentially he's given advice to his daughter. I think I talked about 12 step because one of the things in Al-Anon is a character defect is giving unrequested advice. If you give unrequested advice, which I might be doing some on this podcast, I apologize if that may be the case. Um, it's considered a character defect in Al-Anon because it's a control, it's a covert control 
well, they don't usually describe it that way. It's passive aggressive control and it's a way of projecting and transferring instead of just saying, I'm uncomfortable or this and that. You're saying, I'm, I'm judging you or I think you need this advice and I need to, I need to put my boot on your neck so I can be heard, you know, kind of versus like, hey, everybody, let me tell you how it's done. And, you know, nobody asked, right? So that's called the character defect 12 step. Well, that's kind of what this Deserati is. He's talking to his daughter, going, do it this way. Now, a parent's supposed to do that, but he's just kind of going, don't do this, do that. There's people that dull and ignorant. They got a story, but, you know, listen to him. You know, so he's kind of giving advice here, which, you know, I, who asked? But I guess, you know, he's writing a poem. That's okay. So he writes his poem. He gets copyright. But then he sends a copy of this poem to a bunch of people at Christmas. Uh-oh. Copy Blows his copyright out. Aww. So he, what happens is, Later, everybody and their dog starts printing this out, including this uh, Pastor Jake over here. Let's see, Frederick Cates. He ends up copying the poem, and it's got the misleading credit line. Well, anyway, so everybody and their dog's reprinting this, right? And it becomes really popular in the 1960s and 70s. Well, he copyrights some things, but he ends up losing a bunch of money because he broke his copyright by sending it without attribution to a bunch of his family at birthday time or Christmas time. It was Christmas time. And then they said, well, it breaks your copyright. So then he couldn't get money for the Desiderata. And here it is reprinted over and over and over again. He, you know, he died in 1945. He didn't have his copyright on that, which sucked. And I personally think somebody, if you write that thing, you should get copyright on it. Come on. You know, there, it's their soul and spirit that went into it. And that's what writing is. I am a poet. You know, I got a bachelor's in the writing thing. And, you know, it's... I, I, maybe it's just self-edification and self-absorption. But it's language study as well. So uh, you want the person who wrote it, like when the Beatles, when the rights to their music got sold and Michael Jackson bought them. And it was like, come on, give it back to Paul Simon. Give it back to the people that wrote it. That's the way it should be, right? But they got screwed out of all kinds of money because they were young and the law and it wasn't right. You know, so go with the spirit of it. Reward the spirit. Let the rape and incest survivor have a microphone and make money off their story, you know, and their perspective on things like that. Well, all right, he gets some fame with the Desiderata. He's publishing some things, and um, his poem ends up becoming so famous. There's a copy of Leonard Nimoy. He was recorded reading the Desiderata. <laughs> then about 1950s, 60s, here comes the old St. Paul's Church. What was this? Yeah, from 1956 to 1961, at old St. Paul's. Then it gets distributed with this little letterhead of the found it's old St. Paul's. Okay, so then... He writes this for his daughter and sends it out of the Christmas card. That breaks and voids the copyright. And then Old St. Paul's publishes it. Okay. Came popular in the 1960s and 70s. Now he dies in 45. His wife publishes some of his works in 1947. Okay. So, we're, you know, she was proud of his work and wanted to continue his legacy. That's nice. Okay. So let's get back here. But you know what Max Ehrman also wrote? <laughs> this is what Max Ehrman also wrote. This is in about 1922 called A Virgin's Dream, Other Verses of Scarlet Women from his Scarlet Women's series. Let me like, read a little bit of the co table contents on this one. A silken perfumed little maid. What goeth down the red light street? The house of sin. Domestic devils. The kiss. The ballad of Lily. Rhymes of girls. The harlot's vengeance. All right, I'm re-recording this section because I got a little carried away there. But I thought I'd read to you a little bit of Max Ehrman's um, Scarlet Women's series here. 
So what I'm I'm keying it on is see if you can pick up any gender, race, or socioeconomic uh, bias issues, uh, or maybe some projection transference. Just see if you can sense anything here. Okay. <clears throat> A silken perfumed little maid. My friend and I, one lonely night, went to the painted women's place where there is music, wine, and light. A few soft words, a pretty face. My friend was one while I sat tranced as flaming women past me danced. The breath of dying rose leaves came of silken subtle faint perfumes and past me flew each fragrant flame. Tight held, they spun through all the rooms, and when the giddy music stopped, the champagne bottle stoppers popped. <laughs> uh, here's a couple of little lines. Upon their flames, fresh coal they laid by pouring liquors down their throats. So, <clears throat> in between writing um, advice poetry for Max Ehrman's daughter, and uh, having some kerfluffle about copyright and, and uh, distribu distribution with copyright for the Desiderata. Desideria, I, I always kind of mix it together. Desideriata, okay, now you're going to ask me to look at it again. It's a Desiderata, <laughs> I'm just going to say Desiderata. Anyway, that was a big one he was famous for. Um, he also had these other issues with gender and power that were playing out in his Scarlet Women series. And um, I would venture to share that I think that there might have been some bias going on there just a little bit. So um, I just wanted to bring attention to the fact that here we have this beautiful poem that my mother definitely loved and we got lots of inspiration on. And also there was some judgment and shame going on in there some, right? A little unrequested bias, okay. Uh, still a beautiful poem, um, and we thought it was from Old St. Paul's Church, but maybe not so much, and then there was a kerfuffle about that. And then as it turns out, you know, he's got a couple different sides, and you know, if you're going to publish erotica, more power to you. You know, if you're going to publish things where, you know, people are consenting, everybody's over 18, you know, have a party, you know. And, um, you know, it's not for everybody, but, you know, people can consent. People can say yes or no. So um, <laughs> if someone's going to be well-known for being a religious type of entity or want to be well-known for this, while they're also castigating and showing bias for gender and socioeconomic demographic quite readily, it might be something to evaluate there. Now, granted, this is written, you know, 75 to 85 years ago easily. So something to consider. Although I'm a little more satisfied knowing who wrote that poem and understanding that there was a whole history to it of misattribution and a dark, sinister side. Well, I don't know if it's a sinister side. The sexuality shared by this person isn't the sinister part for me. The The judgment and shaming stuff and the power differential that's not consenting of someone. That's something I go, hmm. There's kind of a see me underbelly. So let's look at all of it because I think Max Ehrman to me qualifies as a fallen one. Uh, one that I finally got to find his his work together and, and then have some sympathy for the guy because he lost his copyright through his own actions. And then, well, it turns out he has a lot of judgments and shaming about women and such, just like Tesla, for example. Uh, a lot of people of a particular race, gender, socioeconomic demographic really love Tesla, although um, 
there's a lot of people this person isn't thinking about with their work. Not that that's his job. It's just um, there's a representation going on that might be kind of good to step back and take a look at the biosome. So I think this has kind of wound me around to all the little, a lot of the broad strokes of the nooks and crannies of uh, Max Ehrman. And um, I'm going to go ahead and lead up to this next section about how you can help. Um, I've got an addendum coming up here on how you can help or maybe integrate things a little bit better when you see something that's a little bit hypocritical possibly or someone's going, I'm, I'm famous for this, but what I really am into is this, you know, Scarlet Women's series and, you know, trying to work out my issues there. So um, what I got coming up, the next section here is about a couple of different ways you can research and do a little different take on empowering people uh, in a different way, perhaps. So um, I guess I was intrigued to go down the Scarlet Desiderata uh, vein of things. And before I get wandering off too far, um, after re-recording this and going, maybe I can say this better, um, I just want you to know here at the house on Valencia Street, while we're exploring the source origin of what inspires us, Please understand that you're never alone and you're not going to be alone at the house on Valencia Street. Although sometimes it's um, whether you like it or not. Oh, we got it. We got an update. We got an update. Oh, we got late breaking news. Late breaking news. <laughs> this is the addendum at the house on Valencia Street. What we got today is, all right, here we go. <clears throat> this is the addendum. Today we got an addendum. Do, 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 do. This is the appendix, the codicil. Uh, this is a supplement or uh, the epilogue, the postlude or the conclusion, uh, perhaps a compliment or a postscript, uh, maybe oh, a writer, uh, a coda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that's a merriamwebster.com thesaurus addendum. <laughs> You're welcome and I'm sorry. Okay, here we go. Oh, wasn't that fun? I like trying to find, I love learning words. Okay. Okay, here we go. This is the part that I wanted to offer. What can you do to help? What can we do to help? What can we do to make this better? Uh, you know, when you sit there and go, well, I like that poetry and I like this part, but I don't know. It, he, he has some problems with the way he sees gender and, and sexuality and he's deeply he seemed deeply conflicted this Max Ehrman fella so how could we make it better well I thought I'd offer an endorsement to a product I, I, I love um, there's a group called body storytelling body storytelling b-a-w-d-y storytelling I believe she's a San Francisco based storyteller um, they've been around for, I'm going to read you the forward of this. I listen to them. They have a podcast that they look, it's a weekly podcast. And sometimes they have a bit of, you know, she talks, kind of catches you up and I'll forward around, try to find what I like, but there's, it's, I'll read you what they describe themselves as. <clears throat> for almost 13 years now, body has featured true stories of sex, kink, body image, gender, and more to build community educate, entertain, and bring people together. We do regular live storytelling events in multiple cities, but there are plenty of ways to get body. Our podcast and YouTube channel are fantastic ways to get your body fix wherever you are. So that's bodystorytelling.com. I'm going to put them in the notes today. Um, they talk to lots of people with lots of different sexual sexualities. Um, 
LGBTQIA, um, like myself, uh, people who are bigger, who are older, you know, who are, um, you know, differently abled, all kinds of perspectives and, um, you know, open relationships, uh, monogamous, autonomous, all types of people are on there and they give you all kinds of permission to have sexuality. However, you, you express sexuality in an alternate way while we're listening to people with different voices, just taking up space, you know, people who are survivors are going to take up space, maybe a little different than people who haven't had uh, that trauma and healing, you know, process, which gives a different level of depth, you know, uh, for example, I was thinking this week, um, I've got a poverty scar on my body. Um, when my mother left my father, who had transmitted as STD to my sister when she was nine, um, mother was poor and she had to move four kids in with her brother. I'll call him Buzzcut. <laughs> brother Buzzcut. Uh, Darlene's brother was Brother Buzzcut and he was an engineer. And uh, he listened to Rush Limbaugh. He loved Rush Limbaugh. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Anyway, uh, so, but he also was kind enough to bring and allow my mother to take her four children in the car that she drove from California up to Walla Walla to get away from a guy who'd gambled away rent, who'd brought in two women and had stolen her grandma's perfume. And her grandma was poor and then given us uh, my mama and my sister as an STD. And she, she was like, come on, you know? And, and so she finally reached a breaking point after 17 years married to this man. And she wanted to, to be with him forever. They'd been together as harvest King and queen. And so she had the strength to say no. And she told that family, she told that farming family of wealth and that at Pacific Northwest, he did this. He's accountable. I'm going to take us all. And we're out of here. And she divorced him. She divorced him after 16, 17 years with them. And I was six months old when she did it after being born in a thunder and lightning storm in the dark at the, at, you know, six months later, she was scooping us up and taking us up to Buzzcut, Buzzcut brother. And uh, he gave her a home and you know what she ended up doing? She would do laundry and she would iron clothing and she had four kids to take up by herself because our father had abandoned us. And it was Mr. Party and Gambling guy. Um, and so she ended up ironing and did everything she could and became, she became a postal worker. And that's how she survived. And she was exhausted all the time. But one day she was ironing clothes and she got distracted, ran out of the room. And I was a baby child in a little bassinet. And I pulled the iron on top of me and I had a huge scar on my, I still have a huge scar on my, my uh, leg from the iron that fell on top of me and they came in and took it off me. I was a little baby trying to push this hot iron off of me, but mom was exhausted. And that's how, that's a poverty scar. See? And, um, I got cousins that were just fine with the abused. I got cousins that took the money and became gross. Like the people that did the gross things to us. And when we said, no, this was wrong. They got castigated and told they were liars and they got poor and you know just more abandoned kids and and you know that particular family pay some money shut shut the hell up we're going to do it to the next generation brothers raping each other's kids and that happened in my family of origin and that was in a and they're going to be in remote locations you know things like that and so everybody's just fine with it so you grow up with that and you go i'm sorry to go off on that today but i like the fact that this place is where I'm going to talk about it because I created the podcast so I could talk about it. And the fact that just being able to talk about it's hard and it also kind of shuts you down some, but it also makes you feel like 
if I can be honest about it and heal it and people can acknowledge it and make space for me to be heard, well, other people can be heard too. Other people could take up space, say me too, say, I'm going to say no, you know, and my mama said no. And I know she loved me and the people that were okay and just fine with it and enabled people. I got a cousin who was raped by her father for four to six years. And she went from being a beautiful, vibrant, blonde, beautiful bombshell, as sweet as can be. And then she got to several hundred pounds. She died early because she was over 400 pounds. And she married a big bodybuilder to get away from her dad raper. And um, that was my, my father's brother. And that really happened. And not one person served any charges for this. Okay. And I'm in my fifties. I got sisters in my sixties. They don't want to talk about it. They got married. They got clean. They got money. They got a good appearance. And that was wrong. And where did that start? This intergenerational thing. My mama got therapy and counseling. You can say all the things. It took a long time for her to get straight on that, but she said no. And I know she loved me. And there's, there's cousins I know that got money that I don't know they can say their parents are capable of that. Because they were doing, you know, booze and drugs and sex and swinging and, you know. And by the way, you can be a good swinger and you can have a good sexuality and you can also be a person with bad boundaries using that as an excuse. You know, it depends on how you use it. I'm going to endorse kinky people all day long with good boundaries, get some therapy, get some boundaries, have a good time. Anyway, there's people all over the place. Body storytelling, they embrace a lot of people. They embrace uh, survivors. They embrace people that are differently abled, trans, all kinds of things. And I've heard some fantastic stories on body storytelling. They're a way to heal. They're a way to survive. And they're a way to see people that are beautiful and bodacious and flaming red hair and big, beautiful, juicy lips and and stories to tell and hot as hell <laughs> by storytelling from the perspective of somebody different, you know, or someone eclectic, something like that. Comedians, poets, actors. She's got some hot sex stories that are pretty damn funny. Okay. Anyway, thank you uh, for the addendum. Thank you for listening to that. I just wanted to make sure that there, you know, there's an option. There's a fun option to go out there and um, check out the body storytelling because that is a way to hear people from a different perspective and endorse and encourage them. And also, I think I've donated to her in the past too. Uh, five, 10 bucks here and now and again, you know, it's a cup of coffee. Why not? Okay. Thanks for tally-ho, as Mama used to say. Tally-ho, chip-chip. And um, I love the fact that we could share this truth and we could sit there and go, you know, you is a great He's a great poet, Max Ehrman, but you was a deeply conflicted motherfucker. And I think you know need to go to a therapist, talk about your gender problems, because there's all kinds of power and judgment and shame that you ain't taking responsibility for. And you talk about walking into a brothel and having zero accountability while you are using race and gen using race, gender, and socioeconomic demographic, and you're enslaving these people. And uh, he's the guy that has a poem in old St. Paul's Church. He's also the guy who's talking about, I go to the brothel and I'm, I'm scot-free, but let me judge and shame the people I'm doing this thing at. <laughs> He's a fallen one. I'm going to give him a slap on the ass, that one. Anyway, um, if it's consenting and everybody's over 18, I'm just clarify that one. But yeah, take a look at that one. And also take a look at body storytelling. Okay, there you go. Your patience is appreciated. Thank you. This is the house on Valencia Street. Uh, you're never alone, sometimes whether you like it or not. <laughs>